Hi, our names are Bea and Neil, and welcome to the Succulent Podcast, where we discuss absolutely everything and anything with no filter. On this week's episode, we will be discussing economic theory, socialism, capitalism, and a few philosophical theories surrounding them, but in the 2020 context. So I just want to start off by saying, no, this is not high school economics class. Um, We will try and make this as interesting as possible. So in any society, supply and demand are the basic tenets that run an economy. Any economic theory people come up with, those two are the starting points. They're like cells in biology and atoms in chemistry. So when these two forces interact with each other, that's a market. A market is where consumers post their demands and suppliers meet said demands of consumers. Now, there are two ideas of how a market should behave. There's one which is the free market, where supply and demand are without larger governmental overreach, as in the government doesn't decide for the people in that market what their demand should be and how the supply should be managed. There's also a regulated market, where the government does bring in measures to Um, support supply and demand, and depending on your politics, you may or may not be a fan of that support. What we see today is that most economies around the world are somewhere between a completely free market, because in a sense that would mean anarchy and no government, because probably the largest role of the government is to handle how money moves inside a country. So they lie between the spectrum of free market and a completely regulated market. Not to say that there aren't isolationist economies. There are, but on a larger scale, most countries today cannot function without trade. And and trade is only facilitated by the free market. So when these free markets act on a national scale and also on an international scale they diverge into two primary schools of thoughts. One is capitalism and the other is socialism. Now, it's important to note that a free market by itself is not capitalist and that a regulated market can also be capitalist. Look at China for an example. But the reason why we see free market touted as the messiah of capitalism today is that one of the core tenets of free market uh, economics is the political libertarianism that comes along with it. And that is usually seen in countries that operate on a capitalist economy, US, UK, India, most of the EU, um, and yes, even the Nordic nations. Whereas when you tend to think of socialist countries today, you'll think of Venezuela, you'll think of um, Cuba, you'll think of North Korea, USSR, Yugoslavia. All of these countries have quite an authoritarian flavor to how their governments work. So whilst the usual political spectrum is presented with having libertarianism on one side, and authoritarianism on the other of one axis, and then left-wing and right-wing economics on the other axis, those two axes have come closer together to form an authoritarian 
socialist on one side and libertarian capitalist on the other, on the larger scale, not to say there aren't exceptions to this. But if you look at the Western world, this is usually how it goes. And which is why we see this sort of myopic view on how capitalism is bad or how some people call themselves socialist or Marxist without understanding those theories completely. It's this merging of these axes, and that's exactly what we will be deconstructing today. So I will be focused more on the philosophical aspect of this debate, simply because my knowledge of economics is rather poor compared to Neil's. But I will start off by saying that one of the biggest reasons why we chose to do a themed episode on capitalism is because of this wonderful, and I say wonderful with rather bitter undertones, um, observations of what millennials and people from our generations perceive to be the truth about capitalism. And, you know, neither of us claims to be some kind of infinite fountain of knowledge, but something odd does come to mind when you see tweets saying capitalism is a disease made by 20-something-year-olds angrily typing away on their iPhones. And it just makes me think, is this new anti-capitalist drive in people our age driven by compassion the way that their inflated sense of self-worth dictates? Or is it really driven by resentment and a misunderstanding? A lot of people seem to be more obsessed with massively hating on the rich than actually helping the poor. And this is evident if we just compare some simple statistics in which it can be assumed that capitalism has brought about the greatest reduction in poverty on average, given that in 1981, 42% of people lived in extreme poverty, whereas this number was squashed to 10% in 2019. What I'm really trying to get at here is that my biggest issue with today's anti-capitalist rhetoric isn't just because I want to severely oppose everything that has ever been said on Twitter, but simply because people seem to be focused more on denigrating and desecrating an entire system rather than a few very prominent individuals who are truly ruining this system in the absolute worst way possible and turning it into an uglier, more distorted version of itself. I am very specifically trying to hint at people such as Bill Gates, who oddly enough seem to be getting very little, if any, criticism from all of my capitalist-hating fellows and colleagues. And I'm very sorry to disappoint, but this will not be an episode about why I think that Bill Gates is trying to microchip all of us. To be quite frank, most of you are not important enough to be microchipped, myself included. But rather, it's just a question for all of you. Since, since you hate corporations and billionaires and people with more money than you so passionately, why are you not asking yourselves, why is a private sector billionaire who couldn't even save a Microsoft computer from a virus so active in the world's health response? In fact, let's actually take this a step further and generalize it and ask yourselves, who is really pushing for the extension of all these lockdowns? Do you think it's all the small business owners who are on the verge of bankruptcy and having to close down an entire family business? Or is it perhaps the top one 
percent in America who has gained four hundred billion dollars during the pandemic, the same amount that has been taken away from everyone else, to the point where my question is, does the middle class in America even exist, or have we gotten the worst possible type of wealth gap exacerbated by authoritarianism at the hands of the government? and corporations who are sadly pushing a false narrative about a global health pandemic. As always, this is going to be an episode about nuance. This is not in any way, shape, or form a strictly pro-capitalist anthem. It is simply a commentary on some of the dangerously passionate aspects that we think people our age have gotten wrong about capitalism and ways in which they are mixing it up with capitalism's uglier stepsister, corporatism, which is really just the result of capitalism being unregulated. And what do I mean by regulated capitalism? Well, if I'm just going to bring about my philosophical aspect on this, it's really just the divine Nordic model of a social democracy, essentially what Bernie Sanders has pushed for, who, um, honestly, in my opinion as well, is a wonderful candidate with some wonderful ideas, who was sadly used as a pawn by the Democrats to get votes. And this is in reference to a common let's call it pop culture phenomenon all over Twitter and Instagram with um, glaring headlines saying things like, you can't be economically right, but socially left. Well, this is where Sweden, Norway, Denmark, Finland, and Switzerland step in and say, am I a joke to you? Are these countries purely capitalist? No, and thank goodness for that. But what I am trying to dig at is that some of these countries, notably Sweden, have a freer market than the United States and thus could technically be classified as more capitalist than the United States. However, I don't need to go into too much detail as to why in terms of education, public health, safety, healthcare, and children not bringing guns to school, all of these countries are performing significantly better in America on a variety of topics. And I don't mean to criticize you know, young people in our generation as harshly as it's coming out. But what I'm really trying to say is, I think that they are improperly articulating their concerns because truly what it seems to me, and that is something I can back up, is that young people want capitalism, but in its better and purer sense. They want equality of opportunity to maximize this in a society that you know, drives innovation, safety, and advancement in social and technological terms. But in order to do so, they want to clash this terrible concept of cronyism, or that is cronyist capitalism, in which it is very true, unfortunately, that only if you know someone, or you know someone who knows someone, or your dad is the director of a great firm, will you be able to progress and earn money, whilst those who don't have that opportunity are inevitably stuck. And that's a beautiful bit about having a free market economy. No one tells you what you have to demand. Nothing is not demandable. And if other people have similar demands to you, you will get it at a better price than if only you had a demand. It, and if you can show other people that that demand can bring goodness to their lives, it can improve their lives you'll have more people demanding the same thing and you can benefit from that because the prices will come down for you. That's how the market equilibrium works. So it's not this thing that you see on social media that the free market is evil. 
it's not the free market being evil, but it is the regulations brought upon that free market being evil. And that is not to say that governments are the only people who regulate a free market. Corporations can and do regulate the market. And that's exactly why we see such massive wealth gaps today in countries. The idea of governmental intervention in a free market did work, you know, 80 years ago. But we did not have massive multi-billionaire corporations um, actively contributing to a country's economy back then. It was very much the governments that ran the economy if they wanted to. But in 2020, it is exceedingly tough and quite frankly naive to ignore the role corporations have in economies, especially the economies of America and most Western countries. So when we bring in this interplay of governments and corporations together, that's when capitalism wears its head towards corporatism and crony capitalism. That's not what we're here to defend today. What we're here to explain and defend today is capitalism in its purest individualist sense, and that means private ownership. In our very first episode, we did stress about how individualism is essentially more productive than herd mentality. That does apply to economics as well, in that we think of capitalism today as Apple and Google and, you know, Apple having massive stock gains. Yes, that is capitalism. We're not going to deny that. But that is not private ownership, right? That's private ownership of something by a very selective group of people. On a whole, it's more regulatory for an economy than it is free. It is collectivism. You can't be... Well, you can be part of Apple as a shareholder, right? But as a shareholder, you're not really driving how Apple dictates its internal economy. That's up to the board members. And that, again, is essentially authoritarianism. To some extent, that is required because Apple is a massive company and it does require regulations so that it can meet its goals, it can, you know, get products out so that all of us can celebrate when a new iPhone comes out. And that's fine when it's an internal economy that's self-regulated. And yes, to a certain extent by the US with its antitrust laws. But when you map this selective few people running an entire country's economy, and you don't get to have a say in how your own money is being used in a country. A country can be massively capitalist, but, you know, you, you can't manage your money because that, that's when you go into state capitalism, like you see in China today. So where does all of this bring us? It brings us to this idea in economics of market failure. It's when something happens in a free market that's not expected, and that puts the forces of supply and demand in massive disarray. A market failure can be anything, to be honest, that forces the market equilibrium to change without adapting to such a change. It can be pollution, it can be climate change, 
It can be the coronavirus pandemic. It can be massive corporations. So the thing with market failures is capitalism reacts really, really badly to market failures. And why does it react so badly to market failures? Well, for one, because capitalism relies on this basic idea of private ownership on a more individualist scale rather than corporate. Um, when there's something like the pandemic hitting, your money loses value in a pandemic. It's why you see unemployment rise. It's why you see businesses shutting down because when people don't inject enough of their own money into the economy, there's going to be less demand. If there's less demand for something, the supply of it will reduce. And that's and when this happens at an accelerated rate that the market doesn't expect, you get a market failure. The most traditional way to remedy a market failure is by government intervention. But in 2020, when corporations and governments are so entangled together, it presents a slightly new view on government intervention. It's what dismantles this idea that capitalism inherently has to be libertarian. It brings in an authoritarian version of capitalism where, yes, you are free to own stuff in the country, but you don't get to say how your taxes should be used, you know? And Look, you don't have to be American left or American right to, you know, dictate how your money goes and where it goes. If someone who's massively against immigration lives in Sweden and sees how many immigrants Sweden gets, they have a 60% income tax over there at the highest bracket. 70% actually if you're part of the top 10% of earners. Exactly. Now, in the libertarian sense... Regardless of what morals dictate you, you should have a say in how, you know, the tax you give the government is used. Now, if you're anti-immigration, you're fairly okay in saying, I want Sweden to reduce the number of immigrants it gets. And you can have whatever reasons for that. But if someone is pro-immigration and pays, you know, 60-70% income tax, they'll be perfectly happy with that. Sorry to interrupt, but I'll just quickly jump in right there with Sweden. Sure, the tax rates are very high and citizens democratically deserve a say in how they're being spent. But also, I would just like to mention places like Sweden can only afford very supportive welfare states because of their free markets. It is, in that sense, a capitalist nation in the demeanor that corporate taxes are low, whereas income taxes are very high. So with this slightly new version of government intervention, people are fairly all right in saying that they have doubts about remedying market failures today with government intervention. We've seen the US response to the pandemic economically probably did not target the people who needed the money the most. And that is, the blame does lie with how entangled with corporations the US government is. But that, again, does not mean that capitalism is all the evil manifest. So then the question is, how do you remedy a market failure? The unfortunate answer is 
nobody really knows because traditionally government was it sort of played god with the market when it wanted to right now that we see that that does not really work who is the god and maybe we don't know who this new omnipotent being is but what we do know is that turning towards authoritarianism is definitely not the answer and this is why I keep bringing up authoritarianism, because people confuse, well, depending on where on the political spectrum you are, people either confuse authoritarianism with sort of socialism, which I can assure you that libertarian socialism does exist. Whereas on the other hand, they go, oh, capitalism, bad, why? Corporates, what have we seen? corporates entangling with um, governments. And, you know, people have different ideas of what economic authoritarianism is. And all of this takes away from what I find most beautiful about a free market. And that is the opportunity and choice that it presents to you. It runs well with what I believe philosophically as well, and what we both believe um, to be one of the core philosophical ideas of being human and that's having freedom of choice and no freedom is not a bad word as much as some americans would like to tell you as an extension to this capitalism promotes what is essentially a learning mindset and system and it is one of the driving forces behind innovation and technological and scientific advancements when there is an incentive to earn a lot of money and a nice lifestyle it is only human that people will be more motivated to work harder towards what they want and this is where capitalism actually beats socialism in the optimism department, in the sense that capitalism actually refutes the notion that scarcity is at the heart of our existence, and that everything must either be redistributed or reallocated. And logically speaking, I can see the sense in this. Resources aren't limited, they are created by human invention, and nothing becomes a resource until someone thinks of a way to make use of it. Rather than promoting corruption in which scarcity can be used as a means of authoritarianism at the hands of the government, this capitalist notion of invention and innovation precisely drives technological advancements and the search for new knowledge, amongst other things, of course. And this brings us on to a larger point. Capitalism, as an addition to a social democracy, which is the financial aspect that powers everything to work, isn't broken. But of course, it can be made better. This is the part where none of you get to say that I'm a far-right supporter or a Republican, even though I have no affiliations with the United States whatsoever, because I genuinely, on a political and almost philosophical way, agree with Bernie Sanders in the sense that, no, we don't need to be controlling the prices of cars, that is, the government doesn't need to do that, but we should be regulating the private sector so that we don't get insane wealth inequalities and gaps by billionaires and the top 1%, who for the most part evade taxes and do everything in their part to not contribute to a safe, stable society. As a very concrete example, this is where America's richest family, the Walden family, comes into play. Because there is actually no legal federal minimum wage in the United States, and because it is not enforced at all, the Walden family gets away with not paying any of their workers a living minimum wage of $15 an hour, which I agree is inhumane 
terrible, and there is no reason why they should be basking in all their wealth and glory whilst exploiting people who probably can't even afford to feed their families. But get this, we do not actually need to dismantle an entire capitalist system to stop this from happening. All we have to do is start implementing more regulations and a Nordic model of a social democracy. Simple mathematics have actually shown that if the Walden family paid each and every one of their workers a minimum wage of $20 an hour, yes, I just realized that's higher than $15, but the maths is still the same. If the Walden family paid each of their workers $20 an hour of a wage, their profit margin would still be very high up in the billions, and their workers would actually be able to live sustainably, feed their families, and potentially even stay out of crime because of their suitable living conditions. But it comes as no surprise that with a corrupt government with very dubious intentions, which can be set for both the Democrats and the Republicans, I am afraid, it is very difficult to implement a social democracy, which is also no surprise as to why Bernie Sanders is no longer the Democratic nominee. What people seem to forget is that while America's earning is made by the private sector, the majority of its spending is actually made by the government, in which I would say a very minimal portion of the spending is actually invested towards healthcare, education, roads, and community programs and council estates for the less affluent. And more of it actually goes into rather dodgy transactions, such as big bank bailouts. Now, with all of our political, economic, and other musings about why capitalism as a tool, not on its own, is an efficient and not at all evil counterpart to socialism in having a well-rounded, balanced, and healthy society that functions on a very high scale, I will quickly dive into the ethics of climate change because I know this is one of the most triggering parts for anti-capitalists or people who believe they're anti-capitalists. It is true that there is an undeniable correlation between our planet going to absolute shit with all due respect due to climate change and with the rise of capitalism. However, blaming capitalism for climate change is like blaming distilleries for drunk driving. Capitalism much like socialism or any other form of mixed government, doesn't care about climate change because it simply doesn't have to. That is not what it deals with. It isn't a free market that causes carbon emissions. It is simply our greed and consumerist mentality. Factory owners don't wake up and decide one day to simply burn fossil fuels for the fun of it. It's because we as a society dictate and determine the type and the amount of products that we wish to purchase. So essentially what I'm trying to say is, in order to combat climate change, which I personally believe is a huge, huge thing that we must prioritize, the answer isn't to dismantle an entire system of government, which for the most part has been positive. Reducing carbon emissions simply requires some trade-offs, like reducing the quality of life. Therefore, this rage and anti-capitalist rhetoric is almost entirely unneeded. And sure, some people have argued that a carbon tax doesn't actually do anything to stop carbon emissions, but at the same time, you can put a flag with a hammer and a sickle on top of Amazon and call it the people's factory. But the point is, the carbon emissions are still going to be there, whether your government is socialist, socially democratic, authoritarian, capitalist, corporatist, you name it. 
At least with capitalism, you get a system that believes in people in its theoretical and purest sense. In socialism, you only get the belief in authority. And will politicians and those in power actually do what they said they would to combat climate change? I'm hesitant to say that they will. And on the topic of climate change, right, capitalism is indeed the tool we can exploit to drive innovation to its technology that can help us combat climate change. You know, 50 years ago, we didn't have carbon capture technology. Today we do. Why? Because enough people who own stuff put their money into it thinking it'd be beneficial. So capitalism is not an evil tool that, you know, people living in the 1950s dreamt up and now we follow it as some sort of cult. It's very much a people's tool if we let it be. And as a parting thought, I'd just like to say, in any free society where humans are free to think and believe, morality is only truly driven by demand. In the Western society, we don't usually think of cannibalism as something moral, but in isolated island societies, they sometimes do. The Aztecs believed in human sacrifice to appease their gods until Spanish colonizers arrived and went, no, that you know, we don't have a demand for that. And yes, that manifests in many ways, but it still sticks to the core that in a society, no matter how isolated or free, what you think is right is only driven by what demands and needs you have. And that's why we we find it so unbelievable that, you know, people can traffic other human beings. But Unfortunately, there's demand for it, so it happens. But for us, there's no demand for it, which is why we find it wrong. The point is, moral absolutism has never existed in a large society. It's always been moral relativism. And that exists in all philosophical and economic discourse. That's all from us for this episode. Thank you so much for joining in. Thank you for tuning in and we will see you in probably two weeks time. Goodbye. Bye.